Banya82, one day at a time, day 21. It's easy to remember, I just count back from the 22nd day, which is the final semi-final day. Two games on the same day, because the World Cup is a bit daft in these days. You don't even get full crowds in some of these games. Well, one of them. Italy versus Poland, that's coming up later, mainly because West Germany versus France was absolutely mental. Mick Foley, how are you? Um, I'm, I'm alright, yeah. Just go back there a minute. So you're saying it's day 21 because there's only one day left after this, is it? Oh, sugar, it's day 20, isn't it? It's Banya 82 day 20, semi-final day, really short intro because I messed up the first one. West Germany versus France, absolutely mental. We may mention Italy, Poland later. Mick Foley, how are you? <laughs> I'm not too bad. I'm kind of all over the place after France, West Germany, I'll be honest with you. It was everything I expected and more, but also less all at the one time, if that's possible at all. A little bit traumatised, a little bit excited by the goals. You know, lots of lots of emotions, <laughs> lots of emotions. Kieran, the debate was in yesterday's podcast, was that the greatest World Cup game of all time? And then the very next podcast, we're wondering if this might be better. This was a great game, but, you know, when we've talked about violence in matches in this World Cup, there was very little overall in this game and then there's one moment that may be more violent than every other incident in this world cup combined i think it's all we can talk about off the top billy japan how are you well you can go straight you can go straight into that but i, I agree with mick um i didn't well i knew what to expect i and you need i expected violence and a whole load of goals uh, but it was a game that had a whole lot very interesting uh exciting whole lot of incidents not some of them quality maybe of uh, of other games, but really, really interesting. Yeah, it had the energy though, Colin, didn't it? It had the absolute, what the hell is happening? It almost felt like a Sibutio game where players were like, just like left at different parts of the table and people had forgotten them. Yeah, the energy is the apt term for everything here, Rob. I mean, I was two when this game happened. I feel 102 watching it at this point, but it's been a life well-lived is how I feel to get to this point. And um, you're right, I, I, the, the players at the end of this game, I mean, to be honest, this is another game, no more than, uh, no more than uh, Brazil, Italy, that I didn't know the full story of. I always had an idea of this game, but didn't know the full story of. I knew the result, knew the winner, but uh, going back and watching it left me absolutely fatigued but in the best possible way it was it was pretty epic um like uh, all good movies the best parts coming uh, towards the end no time to waste let's get the intro west germany three france three west germany wins on penalties five four all right colin nailed it there mick it's it's like the reaction as you watch it in its fullest form is something that was actually genuinely really surprising to me. It's probably the most uh, engaged I've been in a game in this entire tournament and blown away. I have never felt such rage at something happened so long ago as that incident, but so much more as well. But I just think my reaction when I saw the tackle, I'm going straight to it, was like, oh my God, I am absolute Baltic here. It's like, what the hell? Yeah, I call that a tackle. The tackle. It's, it's not even violent. a tackle. No, it's an assault. No, that's an it's assault. It's not even an assault. It's what would you call it? Yeah. It's just a 
Fucking I don't know what it is. Like, I mean, and it's it's kind of <laughs> like it's grand. We can we can finally talk about it. Day twenty. We can finally talk about this. Um the Tony Schumacher assault on Patrick Badistan obviously is what we're talking about. I tell you what got me about it, right? I mean, we've all, I'm sure we've all seen this tackle loads of times. Schumacher coming out, Badistan trying to lob the ball past him, and Schumacher taking him out with his hip in the head and down he goes and it looks it's always looked bad don't get me wrong but there's something about watching 57 minutes of a football game and the game is progressing along through midfield and Michel Platini gets the ball and he floats the most glorious pass into the edge of the box for Badison to run onto and you're watching it and I'll be honest I actually didn't think the, the incident happened that early in the game so I was not expecting it and the next thing I realised you know the way you kind of see something familiar in the frame it's like watching the Brazilian goals you go oh this is going to be a goal now and the next thing I see Schumacher and I see a man and I go oh shit this is when it happens but it's the fer- like you said I was waiting the for the ball to go into net mix so shock. it was like you're just kind of yeah because you're watching it as, a, as an attack and you're like oh this is a goal oh my god this is where he gets killed it's like wow I actually audibly quite, went, whoa. Quite literally not, thank God. Which was not something I expected yeah. the amount of times I've seen it. Um, I was genuinely, genuinely thrown back. This is, and I mean, it's it's not been deliberate, but I have found myself noticing and going and finding incidents like this, goalkeeping incidents where guys get absolutely cleaved either by a goalkeeper or the goalkeeper getting cleaved by the attacker. Uh, and I thought, well, the Schumacher Badistanning is part of a piece here. It's part of a, a culture. It's part of a, a, a particular, not, I wouldn't say a style of play, but something that was the style of the time. This is not the style of the time at all. This is just raw violence, needless, 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 needless. Uh, I was exactly the same. I've seen the incident a hundred times, but I think I've only seen the end of it. And and we've never seen the aftermath. Like we've never seen all you know the medics because you've only ever seen this in like old. They show it as a controversial incident in the World Cup, and you kind of see, you see the shot. You don't see the pass. So when the pass comes, I'm going. That might be the most beautiful pass of this World Cup. And then again, the shots gotten off, and the camera follows the ball rather than the incident. It's only really when you see the replay. That you go, oh my God, how did he not kill him? Could have killed him. He really could have killed him. Well, I, I was reassured. I was reassured when I saw the medic running on with the blue Adidas bucket. I said things are going to be fine once he comes on with the Adidas bucket. <laughs> Everything's going to be okay here. <laughs> I, I, like I we're jumping the around here, but Barry Davis, like that was my next question, Rob. Was uh, what uh, commentary did everybody see it with? Because, Barry Davis. Yeah. Yeah. Who, the His line about, one. we've just heard that he's sleeping under the stand and isn't concussed. I think we might need to rediscover, revisit well, what concussion that, is. That, not, on, not only that, Barry had the benefit of an X-ray and MRI machine as well. He confirmed <laughs> that there, that there was no bones broken. And I really I was, was, you know, I was reassured, reassured. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I I have to say the commentary. I, I, I there I go. Segue again after the the commentary was. I found it absolutely hilarious to to tell you the truth. But maybe we'll we'll touch on that. Uh, yeah. In a moment. Yeah, I'm not sure it was Barry Davis. There's ample, star. Oppor- ample opportunity in this game. Um, and and what really amazed me was he's still admiring the pass 
after the incident. You know, it's like wonderful pass by Michel Platini. Um, and you're just like, he absolves Schumacher in this instance. And then later in the game, he can't let a goalkeeper get away with anything. Oh, it's amazing. And it's actually worth making the point at this at this moment that this tackle is one of the things, because we can't, you know, we, we can't set aside the, the high quality of the game and the goals and all the drama around that and the pen, first ever penalty shootout of the World Cup. But it's the tackle that it's probably known best for. But on the night, in the TV commentary, in the newspapers the following day, probably because the game finished so late, it was like quarter to 11 at night when it finished. But the Badistan issue is not an issue the following day. It's not an issue for Barry Davis, it seems. As Kieran alluded to there, Barry, Barry's far more concerned about goalkeepers moving off their line in the penalty shootout. But Fair it's, enough. It's, uh, you know, but we'll come to that. We'll come to that. But, like, you know, this was not an issue until maybe two days later when people took a breath, when poor Patrick Badistan was struggling to get a breath. It, it actually wasn't an issue a number of weeks later. Like it, it didn't become something that you saw in shoot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When they've had time to reflect upon it, and you would think, given the market for that particular publication, would want to highlight a dangerous incident. What really brought it home to me was um, watching it after listening to Philippe Claire on this podcast talk about the profound effect that that game, this team, that tackle had on French football. Uh, France as a country, as a sporting country. Um, and, not, and not to obviously spoil anything that he said, I know it's already aired, but like what that team meant, that friend, France uh, 82 team meant to people in France and particularly how their exit galvanized football in France and how the national team was viewed for pretty much the next next you know decade and a half until they won the world cup and at home in 1998 and even still he said that that team was held in in more in higher regard than even the 98 team was and and subsequently the 2018 team was and so much of it was centered around the injustice of that tackle but also the love for the team itself and there was fascinating aspects to that team that I know have already been covered but a lot of it for me, was fascinating in the sense of how multicultural that French team was. But the tackle and uh, Philippe's description of the fallout of that tackle and the injustice felt at the time, because sometimes we can obviously, like you're saying there, Kieran, the immediate media reaction wasn't particularly uh, sympathetic towards the tackle, but certainly the way Philippe tells the story, the uh, crazy injustice that was felt in France. i got to say that this French team... We spoke so much about Brazil the other night and the tragedy of them leaving the tournament. But the more I watched France in this tournament, the more I fell in love with them uh, because they were a team I probably was not as aware of compared to Brazil 82 and the history and legacy that they left. But watching this French team um, and a few players I had no idea of before, Trezor being one of them, incredible, um, has opened my eyes to them. So yeah, the tackle is obviously a huge moment of the game, but uh, what a wonderful team too. To Colin's point, like uh, I think it's Michel Platini had said it years since that the losing of that game against West Germany and the tackle itself was in its own kind of roundabout way the making of the team. That two it gave them the drive to come back two years later and win a European Championship. Um, but obviously, 
it's it's a dreadful blow, a dreadful blow to them because they wouldn't they, they were they were they were already playing well. And in fairness, they didn't stop playing well after the tackle. They continued on. They were fine. Their reaction was incredibly resilient, and they just they just kept going, you know. But um, like Colin, I would echo all of that. Like I mean. Brazil will still be the team for me that I take away from this World Cup just has been the most exciting. But from where we started with this crowd, I mean, remember, we started with that buy me a coffee episode, like watching them against the Republic of Ireland in the qualifiers to see the the, the evolution. Probably we haven't watched the team as much as France, if you if you take look at it that way, from there to now, to see the revolution. And it's completed in a way, and not and no badness to Solaire who is who's 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 not played who's not started in this game Cease comes in from but this is the team now the team that plays against West Germany is the team that we remember but I wonder is it worth just rewinding just we might jump into the tackle now right yeah. and it's the worth just yeah. just to, just to kind of frame it a little bit for people it's a very good game up to this point but after 34 minutes Schumacher has his first encounter with a Frenchman a serious encounter. He kind of rolls into Michel Platini after gathering a ball. And you can see, it's not really picked up on the cameras, but you can see Platini's holding his tie after it. He's after giving him a, a bit of a dead leg, right? Um, so that's grand. That's one thing. Then two minutes later, there's another ball and he shoulders Amaros for no reason, really. And I mean, this stuff, I mean, this is so out of kilter, even in 1982. It's very odd to see it. And then another couple of minutes later, there's a challenge... Uh, with Didier Cisse when he's collecting a ball from across and he seems to hold his foot or there's there's some kind of entanglement anyway and it's not good and at this point Badistan is already on the bench saying to the people around him look at Schumacher you know he's he's hot under the collar he's a bit he's a bit wild tonight you know something going on with him so the groundwork is there there's something going on with Schumacher I would suggest from what we know from his autobiography that up to this point, he has been frustrated with West Germany not looking like they're going to win the World Cup. But now that they're in the semi-final, he sees, he's re- he wrote it himself in the book. He's, this was an opportunity to kind of reclaim their reputation and give themselves a shot at winning a World Cup. And looking at his background and reading the book and getting a sense of his temperament to this point in his career, he's very much one of these guys who feels he has to fight for everything. It's a, it's a, everything is a zero-sum game with him. And he feels that everybody is out to get him. So perhaps all of that is playing, and I'm not making excuses, by the way. I'm just putting a bit of frame, bit of a framework on this to go from here to, to where we end up. Yeah, there's something going on in his head that goes beyond competition, Billy Joe. You know, this it's a, like it's it doesn't really fit any sort of pattern that you can say, oh, he was being extra competitive. It's just something really odd about it, isn't there? There's an element of you know he he comes across as very arrogant in his movements and some of that i think is is intimidation and uh i, I suppose it, it, it just when you in terms of just describing the incident itself you know the kirana said the, the ball from platini is outstanding badistan is there he makes contact with the ball and i estimate that schumacher's are still four yards away from him now to, to to strike the ball, Baston has to kind of leave the ground because he's hitting it, hitting it kind of high in the air, and Schumacher is racing out as hard as he can, and he throws himself into the air to anticipate a lob, which is the sort of finish that Baston tries to execute. Now, unfortunately for France, it 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 passes Schumacher, and 
makes its way past the post, obviously. But there's a clear opportunity there for Schumacher to pull out of that. And he doesn't. He, you know, he gets into the air and actually, to make matters worse, he shifts his hip to his left and his right hip collides exactly with Badistan's head. I, I think some of the, the maybe the, the, the controversy relates to his reaction afterwards. And I kind of don't blame his reaction afterwards because the refs do nothing about it. He just goes to restart the game and, 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 and wait until, the, until Balistan gets, gets his treatment. But uh, I, I, I do, on, on viewing it, I do feel that he maybe could have avoided him. Like if you're coming out at the pace that he's coming and the ball has passed you, you've got a couple of options. So first of all, you can decelerate so that you're not colliding with the player at the same ferocity. Secondly, you can meet chest on, which is not going to do the damage. That's just two body. That's a body collision. And finally, he can roll off it. Like we're not, we're talking about an athlete here. He's a professional athlete, but he actually decides, I think something's going to happen here and I need to protect myself. So he turns his hip in, which becomes, you know, calamitous effectively and is so dangerous at this point it's probably no harm to give his version of events um but before just before i do he says an interesting thing i'm reading i'm taking this from his book blowing the whistle now this came out in 1987 by the way so we're talking five years after the event probably four years and he was recollecting it for the purposes of the book he just he made the point he just makes the point that he felt to this point in the game that he was playing quite well he was still angry by the way he was angry in the game already because he felt he, he he says that a french player stood in his hand so that, that bothered him early doors. But uh, but these occasional successes, as he puts a couple of ways, while they may calm your anger and aggression, your concentration and motivation go, success makes you careless, right? So we'll just put that, we'll just park that there. In terms of the incident, I, as I said, this is quoting from his book, I come hurtling out from the goal in the hope of provoking the striker to kick before he's ready. In this kind of situation, the risk of injury is high for both players. So I rush forwards. Badistan comes running towards me. I know from experience that he's going to try and lob the ball over my head. I jump up to block it. Patrick doesn't make contact with the ball. Excuse me? It's difficult when you're in the air to put a break on your own momentum. The most you can do is slightly alter course. A goalkeeper is not an aeroplane after all. It was too late. I couldn't stop and I couldn't avoid him. I came crashing down on Badistan with my knees bent. If I collided with him head on, it would have even been worse for him. As it was, at the last minute, I managed to twist myself around and caught him on the head with my hip bone and backside. He fell to the ground, so did I. I'd also been hit on the side, but the, the pain quickly went. The ball missed the net. A quick glance at the linesman, a goalkeeper's first reaction whenever there's a foul or collision in the course of play. Did he have any objection to make? He didn't raise his flag. No reaction on his part. Uh, nothing. Everything was okay. So at this point, he's looking over to Billy Joe's point about he didn't go over and Billy's you, as you were saying Billy he, he's probably better off not to his his take on it was two French players Trezor and Tigana were already standing there shouting at me and making threats if I go over there there's going to be trouble he said to himself so in order to avoid the risk of confrontation I decided to stay where I was I was afraid of what might happen otherwise I wasn't scared of an argument nor of the players but the atmosphere was tense not to say explosive he has three regrets number one that he didn't go over Okay, and and make a gesture immediately. Number two, on his way back to the dressing room after the game, he's so delirious with joy having won the game and saved two penalties in the shootout. A a reporter, a German journalist, uh, comes over to him and says, do you know Badistan lost two two teeth? And Schumacher's reply, according to himself, was, if that's all that's wrong with him, I'm prepared to pay what it costs to have them crowned. His third mistake, according to himself, 
is that he never made any effort to contact the French or Battiston in the immediate aftermath of the game to see how he was. And in his mind, that sowed the seeds for the abuse and the death threats and the kidnapping attempts on his children and the Hitler comparisons and death camp officer from Dachau stuff that followed him for the next couple of years. So we know that uh, what happened happened with uh, Schumacher. But if you flip it and, and you look at like how reckless he actually was and what could have happened. Okay, so France have already been awarded a penalty in the game, which Platini converted. So like he does what he does. He comes out the way he comes out. To all our minds, I think we think it's like unanimously. He's incredibly reckless. He nearly kills Badistan. So you have this guy who's a pretty story career in gold for Germany. Um, obviously, he's wound up, as Mick uh, said there, uh, given by his own account from his book. Uh, you know, the hand being stamped on early in the game, etc., etc. So he comes out and he, he does this. And like, what's the like? If the referees and the officials had done their job, like, what's the alternative? He gets sent off. Is it a penalty? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's inside a, the box. It's a blatant penalty yeah. in a red card, isn't it? Blatant penalty in a red card. And he's, like, we, we kind of read it, we read the narrative since that it was like um, not a conspiracy to like do France out of the World Cup or have them ejected. It was obviously, we all accept that it was an incredibly brutal decision, but it's just crazy how we kind of look at it now. Like he was out to do this, he got away with it and they went down and won. That's what happened. But the alternative is that they likely would have lost the game <laughs> down a goalkeeper and uh, probably would have conceded a penalty as well. I know I'm just pointing out the obvious, but in everything we kind of consider when we look at this, it's like like it's like it's some like West, West Germany being West Germany, like you're going to get away with it. He should never got away with it. It was a crazy piece of goalkeeping. It was a crazy piece of decision-making on his part. It's not cute. It's not streetwise. It's m like batshit mental crazy. And he gets away with it. So it's not like it's a, a piece of like conniving, you know, this isn't alley cat stuff. This is like, this is batshit crazy. And he got away with it. So I suppose the point I'm trying to make is, you know, and mix that's unbelievable insight to get. It's, it's interesting from a human uh, point of view, whether or not his regrets about not going over it, uh, and to the French uh, are because of what followed and the threats, etc., etc., that followed and all the bad stuff that followed for him, rather than like concern for Badistan and the immediate uh, aftermath of it happening. But I just think when you actually t think about the game, you know, it's not like he he got away with something that was fifty-fifty or borderline or open to interpretation. No, he got away with something that he should have been practically jailed for. But in footballing terms, on the day he should have been sent off in a penalty. Uh, which probably would have led to France winning the game. That's all. I would hope that, you know, none of us have been involved in similar incidents playing a sport. But we've all played in games where something nasty happens to an opponent. And it can lead to tension. It can heighten tenses. It can cause heated debates or worse. But they cool down. And when they do, you clap your opponent when they're going off if you've been involved in the incident you go to check on them i sense five years is, gives him a lot of time to come up with the regrets i think he had ample opportunity to do any one of the three things he regrets not doing yeah and, and because like they're treating him for a while 
before he stretchered off. Like they are treating it for a while, you know, they're for quite a while. Um, and the other thing to keep in mind, though, you mentioned there that you know he has five years to consider the ramifications of what he might have done differently. There was an attempt, well, there was, there was more than an attempt. There was a meeting between them arranged a few weeks after the semi final, the World Cup was over. Um, Badistan, um, uh, met him in Metz in France. It was to be a low key affair. Schumacher travelled with his manager. His name was Rudiger Schmitz, and Schmitz's brother came as well to act as interpreter between the pair of them. And Badistan asked, could he bring a journalist friend from Metz? Now it ended up that the meeting was in at the at the offices of the local newspaper in Metz, and they were taken to a small room. This is according to Schumacher. Now, um, they went into a small room, and there was just there was just them there, and the translator and whoever else was with them, and. Uh, Schumacher apologizes and he was just coming out of his area just to try to uh, assuming he was going to lob the ball over him and Badistan according to Schumacher said that's how I saw it as well Schumacher said look I never had any intention of hurting you that was the last thing I was trying to do Badistan again is just as I thought Schumacher's recollection is that he actually had tears in his own eyes this is Schumacher had tears in his eyes saying this because Badistan is standing in front of him wearing a, a fucking neck brace like a surgical collar and still suffering the severe back injury that he will suffer for the rest of his life um, to Schumacher he said that the meeting in Metz was a relief and that Badistan had been extraordinarily decent I would quote I was still responsible for the terrible pain he suffered but this didn't prevent him from showing great generosity and not holding what he had done against me so they were asked then will you stand together for a photograph so the both of them agree and they're taken upstairs to another room and when they opened the door the room was packed with media journalists TV cameras the whole nine yards and according to Schumacher both players aren't happy with this but Schumacher in particular is annoyed now I know Rob that you've come across a slightly different version of this to the Schumacher version the Schumacher version of what happens next is that he was fine with the French um, questions and French journalists uh, asking him pretty straight questions about the incident he got irritated when a German journalist who had come over uh, and had pre and had before the press conference in inverted commas started said we'll go have lunch and we'll have a chat ourselves after this. And he was like, no, we won't. But uh, uh, he asked him, or the journalist, sorry, I think it was a woman actually, asked if he if Schumacher thought a handshake would mend Franco-German relations. At that, that was where Schumacher went off. He, he said he'd just come to settle things with Badistan. And he said, what do you expect me to do? Am I supposed to jump out the window for the sake of Franco-German relations? And everybody you know, kind of petered out after that. Everybody left and Schumacher knew driving back over the border that this hadn't worked. Uh, it had worked on the level, maybe on a personal level, if that's how it actually went down. But on a public level, it wasn't going to work. He had just, he had just kind of thrown more fuel on the fire again with that response. Yeah, I mean, like Patrick Bastian hasn't said a whole lot about it since, but he certainly never left anyone with any impression that he was, uh, you know, outraged with the incident and should have been a red card. Um, I think at the same time, you know, when pushed and asked, he has had quotes along the lines of. You know, we shook hands and uh, I think there was a quote there. I don't remember if he apologised, but we left it there. That's one of the quotes that's out there. So, I mean, I don't think he's been pushing it hard. Obviously, it's been there for Schumacher to do the, a lot of a lot of more of the explanations. And the, the legacy of this is phenomenal, Billy Joe. Yes, 
what we're here to do today is relive the game itself and we've purposely just led with this because it's just blown our minds watching it again because it's just such a significant event all our listeners know so far is the score of the game they know there was a penalty shootout win for West Germany they know it was three all they don't know there was four goals in extra time they know that this incident game at 1-1 that's what we've told you so far listeners if you haven't uh, done the research done the deep dive into this game or uh, lived through it uh, the first time around but you know where that game was in that moment it's 1-1 and you take it from here Billy Joe Uh, what I can't get over is I don't remember in my lifetime ever seen a moment in a sporting event so emotionally charged and so fleeting in the context of the full story because you have the scene of Platini holding uh, Batistan's hand as he leaves the field you have the scene of Hidalgo looking absolutely distraught and out of his mind how these guys were able to just refocus and play the football they did for the rest of the game is, is beyond me actually It's an even first half France are playing all the nice football they're Three midfielders, in particular, Dress and Platini, are absolutely outstanding. Dress, in particular, was 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 really good. Um, Lebarski gets the first goal from brilliant after following brilliant play from Paul Breitner. He really was rolling back the years, drove through the middle of the field, played it on. I think it was to McGath, and the shot was initially saved by a Tory, and then Lebarski's following it up, and he just drives it low and hard into the back of the net. Platini's goal is a penalty; definitely was a penalty. He slots at home. Even Stephen Game. And for me, the change is that even, you know, the the incident that we, we've we spent a lot of time on happened on the 60th, you know, 60th minute there, thereabouts. I don't make might have said it exactly. But France is the better team in the opening 15 minutes uh, of the second half, in my view. They are really forced the issue to play in some wonderful football. Then the incident happens and it does throw them. There's no doubt about that. But they're able to hold it together enough. And I, I, I the, the clip you pointed to of, of Platini, you know, he kind of, he grasps Badistan's hand. And I read that gesture as not something, not something that I think, I don't know, you'd have to ask Platini, but I, I don't know, was it purely out of concern? He's obviously concerned for Badistan, but I don't think he's fearful of what's going to happen to Badistan. I think he's, he's it's, a, it's a gesture to say, we're doing this one for the Gipper or whatever, you know, we're going to do this one for you. And, gotcha, and, he, yeah, yeah. and he races back onto the field. And then you see France continue to stick in there. And not only that, continue to play really good football. There's a whole load of different players are involved. Amaros is coming up from from the back. You know, he's a, a, a shot laid on that's very, very unlucky. Dress is, is, is really, really good. Platini's really, really good. They're solid at the back. They're aggressive. They're physical. And they're playing all the football. And they're probably... We're doing enough to win the game in in in, in ninety minutes, um, but I, and then I think maybe if if, if it's okay, I, I'll just say that the last couple of you know the the last two incidents in the final minutes of normal time is that Amaros comes up from left back, smacks a shot, what a shot, hits it, hits it <laughs> off, unbelievable, beats Schumacher, hits it off the crossbar, could have easily gone in, takes everyone by surprise, really. It would have been it, such a goal. And then the second, the second down the other end. So you know Germany get a chance, and and um, Ettore spills spills the shot originally. But then you know, and Barry Davis was kind of you know I think he was a bit harsh on him all throughout about uh, giving out about his height, how small, so how small yeah, he was. Yeah, the wee man, the little fella. The wee, the little small, man. We get He's it. <laughs> maybe that was a bit of a bit of <laughs> 
He, maybe it was a bit of a to him in this instance because as he spilled the ball, he was able to get up, get to it quickly enough and push it out for, for a corner. So each team had two really good chances to win it in normal time and, and then it goes on into extra time. But again, maybe just on the broadcast area, you're making me laugh, Rob, on it, that uh, one of the incidents that... Um, that Mick there pointed out in relation to uh, Schumacher and his, his, I suppose, his aggravation maybe in the first half. I think it was that incident with Amaros where Schumacher, you know, is kind of, he's aggressive in it. doesn't do anything outward, but he's aggressive in his mannerisms as such. And and Amaros is more nonchalant and kind of, you know, gives a bit of a French, a Gallic shrug. And and Barry and Barry Barry Davis says, Oh, the 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 players react typical to the land of their birth or something like that. And I was just <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly like, it, yeah. Oh, Nothing man. like casual racism, is there? Oh it's, my god. It's so bad. You know, I like, oh man, the whole commentary is just one big uh, I'm here today to watch the French be French and the Germans be German. <laughs> And like, yeah, no, we're here to watch some football, Barry, perhaps, just for a minute. I mean, Barry Davis is one of my favourite all-time commentators, but I don't think this is his finest hour this entire game. I, I wonder if the penalty was one of the... The penalty that France win is one of the incidents that would have incited Schumacher, because when you see, you know, when you see it on replay, you're going, yeah, but there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of a tussle for the ball. You know what I mean? Uh, you, you would see other games where those aren't given. I just wonder if they feel it's an injustice. The, the hell of a reaction to an injustice, Kieran. <laughs> that dubious to begin with. I wasn't I mean, saying that it was specifically what prompted <laughs> the in the Did you the ghost his, his but, biography but if, or <laughs> <laughs> By the way, well done if you did, Kieran. Well yeah, done. Yeah. <laughs> that young Kieran O'Hara there. It, uh, it's flying out of like skips it, all over. Kaiser Sose's family yeah. been been taken out is you know he was on the boil and I just wonder if the concession of the penalty is one of the things that's started to raise that tension within him Just rewinding, Litbarski gets the first goal Billy Joe, how good is Litbarski here? I mean, my God we raved about him at Italia 90 at times we're raving about him here Yes, and I think we raved about him. Was it the last uh, the last German game I saw was against Spain? He was uh, Germany West Germany's best player in that in that game as well. I think if if that's the right game I remembered, he was by far Germany uh, West Germany's best player in the first half. You know, I I think that a lot of the German attacking players struggled throughout the second half until Rummenigge came on. You know, he comes on. You know, he comes on injured. Uh, he comes on. I suppose in 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 the the extra time but again in the extra time Lebarski is the key creator for for those West German West German goals later on he's absolutely fantastic and the speed at which he follows up that shot to get, get that goal and he hits it straight on hits it hard it's gone I think it nearly goes through Ettore's legs before he even realises he's got to avoid a goalkeeper three defenders and his own teammate to slot that that goal home like it, it is not an easy finish and he hits, he hits it at the right pace and puts it in the right place. Mick, we can break this up nicely. We could nearly have a different game. You could nearly have said, 1-1, one, one, that, that, now the extra time. This is definitely the greatest extra time period in the history of football ever. I'm saying it. I'm putting it down on paper. Let no one try and challenge me on that because it is. It's unbelievable. And it starts with France just winning the game and then forgetting to kind of finish it. Yeah, fair enough, Rob. I'm not going to fight, Janet. Okay. Um, the Trezor goal is a bit mad, isn't it? 
Like, so oh, the Trezor yeah. goal happens a couple of minutes into extra time. And you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Falcao's goal against Italy in a match where, like, the Italians were so defensively tight for most of the match. All of a sudden, Falcao had the width of an Arctic truck to shoot into, you know, score a goal. In this case, like, 92nd minute, whatever it was, two minutes in, cross comes over. Trezor, it's hilarious how unmarked he is. Hilarious. He, he has a, he has a circle around him of about ten meters where there yeah. are no other players. And here's another thing, right? It was a free kick. The little wall, right? So it's a free kick from the right hand side. It's it's effectively a cross. But the little wall that the Germans built, it was no more ten yards away. And in fact, by the time they'd finished shuffling forward and jumping at him, it actually deflected off the heads of the wall. And it landed and but now Trezor's volleyed finish is immaculate from about six yards and there he takes a net off. But I mean, it's just a wonderful moment because all the flags are up and everything is everything is going now and the Germans already look look wilting. By the way, there was a rumour before the match that they were suffering from stomach bugs. Not a rumour, they were suffering from stomach bugs. The rumour was that they got the stomach bugs from being on the lash. Um, and Davis as we didn't know get that memo. Our, no, it was in the newspaper. Obviously, I haven't heard of Schlucksy. <laughs> yeah, we know if there's looks a um, supping the froth of the lake um, pre-tournament. But it, in fairness to them, it, it, I'd be more inclined to think it was probably food poisoning or something. But four of them had upset stomachs. Um, Fisher, Briegel and the two Forster brothers were under the weather. Um, and Briegel actually gets taken off. But I mean, not before putting in a fair shift. But like, there is a period in the second half, and I'm not taking that away from the French, but the Germans certainly look tired. And into this period of extra time now, Rob, as you say, they're looking worn out like the midfield, the French midfield is lording it, Roche toes causing problems. The problem though for France all the way along, notwithstanding the fact that they get to three one up when like Gires finishes an absolutely amazing shot again five or six minutes later in off the post. And another wonderful ahead. World Cup celebration, make. What a celebration! Ah, oh, I know, hands out and shaking the head. But I mean, the names involved, like in the goal, Platini, Rushto, and then Gires to finish it. The only thing they were lacking all day was someone to finish it. They were doing some such wonderful build-up play. You know, they just couldn't finish some of the chance. Or the final ball wouldn't quite, or a German would get a toe out, or something would happen, and they just couldn't quite get there. But look, 99 minutes, they're 3-1 up, game over. Surely, right? Yeah. Three one up and as you're mentioning the energy levels there, Mick, and I know we kind of say this about every World Cup, but like you know, at the eighth of July or whatever it was in Sevilla, the hottest city in Europe. Okay, probably Barcadiz, like eighty miles south of it. And again, albeit at eight PM at night, but like middle of July, Seville after, you know, a couple of weeks of competition. These teams are just absolutely better. And I think you forgive a lot when you watch this game and you realize the conditions it was played in, the tournaments that both had. Because when I watched the game and I was like, hold on, I didn't know. I didn't know France went 3-1 up after 15 minutes of extra time. I didn't know this is how this went. And you think a team that kind of blows that lead blows it, but they don't really. It's just, I think it's energy. I think it's fatigue. I think players are out on their feet. And I guess it's German resilience too to come back into the game. So I I, I agree with Mick. I think the Jurassic's goal is just... You know, we, we we see a lot. We hear a lot of talk, and we we saw we've seen a lot of football from Luka Modric, you know, over the last number of years, and he's getting all the plaudits he deserves now. And I remember him. I think in the Champions League game for Real Madrid a couple of seasons ago, he scores a lovely goal like that, where the ball is coming across in front, and he moves towards the ball and hits the ball, hits it with the outside of his right boot. 
uh, and puts it in at the near post. Absolutely fantastic finish. And just before that goal, Rumenig had come on and I can't remember what injury he had, but he had been injured because, uh, you know, two time European footballer of the year, you're going to play him. He's your big player. And I thought he made an absolute instant impact it was and i and i think you know i think you're being harsh people could be harsh to say france lost this game because i think there's a couple of things at play here obviously fatigue is huge because they had to make a substitution in the 50th minute as well with gingini going off then the Badison incident so that was in the 60th minute so you're getting into the hundredth now whereas the german subs are made you know on 73 and 97 so they're that bit fresher and they're two forward players as well so i think that's a factor i do think though that mentally that france thought they had the game won I, I do think that just their reaction after that but but Rummenig is right in there he's he's absolutely right at it like 102nd minute I think he's involved two or three times in the build-up to his goal he's an interchange of passes starts in the middle move. yeah starts to me I think he maybe plays it to to Litbarski maybe then Litbarski gives the it to Fisher I, it's hard to see on, on the grainy footage but either it's way it's hard he, to he, tell he, from the angle but I mean his body is kind of back to goal it, it is but I, I think he's maybe just throwing himself in front of the defender and hitting it with the outside of the boot and trying to deflect it in at the near post because that's the only place he can score whereas you know the ball gets out to Litbarski again Litbarski puts the cross in early and this is just the absolute typical Rummenigge movement where he's just breaking his neck to get to the front post and get a touch on something that's what he does. He literally throws his leg across the French defender. I think he clips it with something like his heel or something. And it literally just creeps in beside the near post. And then and then the tension starts again. It ratchets up and you just feel that the West Germans then know that they're going to get a few more chances. Billy Joe, if you look at that build-up though, it, it it's the French in control, it's a foul and an advantage, and then it's a, it's a hefty tackle that I don't actually think is a foul. It's a really good tackle. But then there's a ball in the middle. I'm about to get critical here of Bussis because there's a ball there there's a 50-50 ball around the centre circle and uh, I'm trying to remember which German player it was that slides in to win it I think it could be Dremler I might, it, it might be Forster it was one of those and the game changes on that tackle because then Bossis is lost he's kind of trying to track back now he's in two minds and it all opens up yeah and I think Bobby Charlton's uh, the, uh, commentary comes through at this stage because he'd been threatened it all throughout the commentary that you know the French looked a bit weak in the tackle <laughs> not to play into any stereotypes <laughs> or anything but um, <laughs> well, they, they played into a sheer <laughs> yeah they, they look I, I, I do think a lot of it goes down to fatigue the whole you know again and, and maybe you know Mick pointed out early on Platini said they needed to lose this one to go on and win because they, they I suppose they were able to recognise how they didn't see that game out uh, whereas it's, it's, it's a trait you always uh, recognise that the West Germans had or particularly in, in that era of football that if there was a game to be won there they could see it out even not, not playing that well so I, I, it's, I think it's just the way the game pans out sometimes you know what momentum momentum in an injury time in some things when injury time or extra time I mean sorry is 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 kind of it's not that it's new but like now it's very cagey whereas both teams there actually tried to go out and win the game if France hadn't scored first would the Germans have been like that I doubt it but it's just the way it played out when it ebbed and flowed with momentum it's now the very definition of a dangerous lead you know what I mean because you're coming into the last moments of extra time and the the equalizer again Litbarski centrally involved great cross to the back post now I think all the credit for this goal as good a volley as it is from Fisher all the credit has to go to is it is it Rubesh that heads it back 
Yeah. yeah. That, like, elastic man, I think his neck turns 360 degrees in order to get that loop tether back into the danger zone. It's an unbelievable play. Like, it's the kind of play you need when you're desperate. This is Horst Rubesh who, you know, score of the winning goal, am I right in saying, in the 1980 European Championship final? I think, I think he was. Lost his place after the first phase in this World Cup and took it very, very badly, apparently. It's not something we really touched on before this, but apparently he threatened to walk. He, he was not happy at all. Uh, but now this is his moment of redemption right here. This header, as you say, he's kind of elasticating himself back and Fisher is sort of like an overhead. He kind of hooks it back past Ettori. But to Billy Joe, I think Billy Joe's absolutely right. Like fatigue is so big in this. If you look at the build up to the goal, like just before the goal, it's a harmless old ball from Uli Stilicke. And Trezor and Jean Vion go for the same header and they concede a corner they don't need to concede at all. And that's where the goal comes from. The corner comes across. I think it's Platini and Jures don't really clear it. And this is, where, again, now where Rummenigge comes in and takes charge. And he sets up the play for the that will create the goal. Forster, Litbarski cross, Hugh Rubesh hitting it back. And Fischer hooks it in. It's tiredness. But it's great, great opportunism by the Germans and... You know, at the risk of doing a Barry Davis, Bobby Charton on it. Very efficient. Ruthlessly. I was so. waiting for you to say Versbrung dirt technique. <laughs> <laughs> Lads, the penalty shootout is not without its drama. Uh, I like to start where Charest is just waiting for the referee to, to get into position. Kieran, you're like, don't go to the penalty shootout yet. I've got something to say. No, I, 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 like, I just think it's, it's amusing to watch them conduct the first ever penalty shootout at a World Cup because we've become oh, so very weird. Yeah. Uh, very, not a single soul has a Scooby-Doo. <laughs> what they're oh, supposed that's, to get. Is that the why there's extra drama the as well? The players like, are so emotional, yeah. They just, this is completely virgin territory for everybody. And it becomes so confusing. And then Barry Davis's, oh, he's off his line. He's off his line. He was definitely off his line. Like the goalkeepers are just constantly try he's trying to make them the villain throughout when now we know the keepers are the heroes when it comes to penalty shootouts whether or not they're off the line i i like but well, they are yeah you, you the point you made there now i, I noticed that as well where duress is i thought he was trying to psych out schumacher because he literally turned his back to him and stood with Me his too. back to him for about yeah. two minutes and i was watching this is that so, so is he afraid to look Sh- schumacher in the eyes that he'll get psyched out or is this his psychology no the referee is just nowhere to be seen because he hasn't a clue what's going on the referee is still out the field probably talking to a fifa flipping executive about when how to do this thing and then the, the, the referee every is stands on the FIFA and pumping tangles. But there's there's a, the, even what you're saying there, Billy. Like there's some penalties where the next penalty ter- taker or the last penalty taker is still in the box. <laughs> yeah. Like it's literally That's is right. the first of it's kind and it's it's metal and 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 it goes that you made a brilliant point there billy as regards the psychology of it in extra time and i'd love to hear what the players thought of it because they literally play not knowing what the whole thing is going to entail so you know we we, we're 40 years on from that now we see it a completely different way but i mean they're playing to win the game like there's no tomorrow or nothing like 30 minutes later where but yeah there's some of the penalties when you get the penalty shootout that the next or last penalty taker is still lingering around the box like an old lad outside 
a nightclub. The lingering. The, can I just come in on the lingering? The lingering, I think every sports psychologist that ever watches that, every sports psychologist snake oil salesman would be having a heart attack because when they show the two teams on the halfway line, there was none of this standing in a line and one trying to creep in front of the other like we saw re- more recently in Pilichu. They're planned out on the ground, lying down. I think if I hit the grass so there, on that, I, wouldn't get, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be getting up again. Yeah. It was like penalties at the end of training. You know where you're so you're kind of yeah. the boys are all sat down in the circle while everybody else is having shots now the, the one thing i think it's worth doing and maybe rob i'm going to get you to call the score out as i do this because this will give okay. you a sense of the drama okay yeah so so Giras scores his one nil Calts. no bother buries his amaros nicely slotted two one friends brightner the man who smokes, gambles, drinks, the ire of Tony Schumacher, no bother at all. Do too. Rashito with the magnificent hair, as Colin has alluded to earlier on. Three two oh, friends. The hair of the tournament. Yeah. And it is. It really our is. old F- Ford Fiesta driving friend, Uli Stilica. Uh oh. Very bad penalty. Three, yeah. two, France, it remains. And by God, the emotion of Silica. Like, I don't oh. think, I, I, I've never seen someone react to a penalty so negatively in the middle of a penalty shootout. He is crying. He is literally crying. But good for him. Guess what happens next? Didier. Didier Cease misses too. Yeah, but he's still, like, they cut back to Stilica and he's still crying, I think. Well, uh, sorry, <laughs> just to make a point there on that, you're talking about how weird the penalty, penalty shooter was. Before you go on, Kieran, on the feed I watched, uh, we didn't see the cease penalty. No! Because he went exactly. up and hit it so quickly. They were still focused on Stilica. I never saw the cease penalty. I just know he, I just know that Schumacher saved it. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't able to make out who it, who it was either. But thankfully, you can find a list of the penalty takers. I mean, it, it, it's poor. Like, nobody's prepared for this resolution to a football match. But now we're back. Where are we, Rob? You can keep in your score. You're well, at 3-2, you? lads. You're at 3-2, France, and cease has just missed. Yeah, it's uh, the best penalty of the night and probably from the best West German player, Lipbarski, cool as you like, socks rolled down around his ankles and he just side-foots it into the top corner. Now we're level, 3-3. And now the big guns come out. So so they have learned, they have learned, save the big guys for the fifth panel. Ah. So Platini steps up. We could have a theoretical debate about that. Now, I always think your best penalty taker should go second, but that's just my own thing. But either way... Platini steps why do, up. Why, why do you think that? Why? Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. Don't just, don't just why. Why? Because if You've you saw some the, research on the importance of the second penalty somewhere. No, well, because y- 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 you're always going to take your second penalty. You're not going to find yourself in the Neymar situation where you don't get to take it because other people have missed. So your best penalty taker doesn't even contribute. Ah, so, you see. So, so if you take, you don't want him taking the first because if you miss the first, the second penalty is even more important. So you have to score the second. So your best penalty taker should be taken second in my book. In this instance, though, like if you think of the excitement watching this live, okay? Like Platini is stepping up to take France's fifth penalty. This this is, the, I'd say now, if you were watching this for the first time, you're going, why can't they resolve every game like this? This is maximum drama. So... Platini steps up, slots his home, and who's up for West Germany? I mean, we're assuming, Billy, what what age were you in uh, 82 1? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'd say your one year old self would have had more 
I thought this out more than I'd say both teams had. <laughs> like I would say they were genuinely Patini taking the fourth. Like I don't think we've ever heard of or no, did he take the fifth? He it took the fifth. fifth. Sorry. Fifth, okay, yeah. okay. So that disproves what I was gonna say. Well, Maybe they put some I, I, I agree no, with you. I, I do think know. the one year old Billy Patton would have would I, have fit, worked this out far better than both like teams. I, I think there was a little bit of like, where is he? Is he gone in? <laughs> he around? Is he can he okay, get him out. Come on, he's up next. Type thing. <laughs> so Rumaniga. Rumaniga. Who's come on like you'd wonder. Were they that confident? Like, remember their arrogance in the Algeria game? Do you think they were that confident bringing him on an extra time that they brought him on to get them there and then take Benos? You know what I mean? So Rumenegger steps up, buries his. And now we're into sudden death. Sudden death in the very first penalty shootout ever in a World Cup. People must have been losing their minds. Well, people were losing their minds. Barry Davis points out that it because of sudden death now, they're looking around in the centre circle for people to do stuff. Who's who's who wants to take a penalty? Any anybody? Anybody? They're looking up. Any anyone at all? Do you know the lad? Do you know the lad who turns up at all those five nations rugby games long ago and they throw cocker out onto the field? Or the guy that's the, the guy that's painting the line out on the side sideline during <laughs> the lad home games in the Six <laughs> Nations. He's. I'll tell you who might have got a call. And this is another thing we forgot to mention in the Schumacher chat. The lad who threw the bottle at him just before just the incident beforehand. with yeah. Badistan. That guy might have got called out from the stand. But sorry, I, I, carry on. Yeah. Sorry. But, uh, my, my, my hero, Marius Trezor, did not take a penalty. Mm, yes, notable. Why Bosis? Why no. Bosis? He wasn't having a good I game. Say, Why? Yeah, Rob, you, you, you alluded to he was having issues, okay? Yeah. That is not the person that you want to be stepping up. No. Colin, I'm sure the Trezor was next. I, I'm, I'm sure that was their plan all along, uh, Kieran. <laughs> I'm the eighth penalty taker. <laughs> Bossis's penalty is, by some distance, oh, so the poorest of the lot. Like it's just he it's was done. Weak. He was he was exhausted, and now he's a scapegoat. If if Horst Rubash of the magnificent header can step up and do the job for West Germany, and he duly does. Now there's a couple of things I'd like to. I know where you're going. I can see Michael Foley throwing his arm in the air. Le Petietori, go, go, go for yeah. it. No, well, like, look, it's easy to score the winner in a World Cup semi-final when the goalkeeper runs out of the way of the ball. Maybe makes it handy, like. Like, six penalties, lads. Six penalties that he faced. He didn't dive for five of them. It, this was, just, again, the style of the time, and this is what makes Barry Davis's commentary so frustrating because he, he immediately blames Schumacher for that. So, you know, if you're going to blame Schumacher for anything on the night, yeah. I think we know what you kind of go after yeah. him for. But Barry Davis decides to go after him because he took two steps off his line uh, to save the weakest, most fatigued penalty you'll ever see in a World Cup semi-final penalty shootout. Yeah. That's a disgraceful. Yeah, perfect disgraceful. time to his immediate all, wife. Like, he doesn't that. even have to stretch. No, doesn't even have to move. Whereas... Poor Ettore, like Ettore, it was as a style of the time, the keeper makes a guess and goes that way. But the Germans were cute enough to kind of just wait a millisecond and see what way Ettore was going to go and just 
put it the other way or roll it down the middle as quite a few of them did or following Barry Davis's suggestion because it is le petit etorie go high because he's only a little lad chip him I could swear just Ronnie Corbett was in goal the way Barry Davis is talking about him but like he he um five five non dives out of six and the one he sa- the one he dives for he saves I don't does anybody have any thoughts on the quality of the goalkeeping here like in the no shooter, no, no I was wrecking my head Mick as well like I mean well, there had to be more to it than that one thing I would say and this this to me is possibly the the biggest disadvantage in what we've seen in the in, earlier in the game you can be certain that Patrick Battistone would have taken one of the five and that probably would not have meant Maxime Bossy's taken one. So, you know, when you talk about what's lost in an incident of that nature, that's one of the things. Now, that's all question marks. If he'd played the whole a, game, a, a he few, might have scored a, a hat-trick. Ago, a few years ago, Rob, in, in anticipation of this uh, podcast, uh, Billy Joe and I went on went to Seville on a recce. And if I could... Um, Sorry, did you send in the receipts for that yet? Uh, yeah, it's, they're, they're incoming, but I mean, there's there's no price on there's no price on proper preparation. But in in Maxime <laughs> Bossi's bit, in in defence of the missed penalty, I would say that maybe he went for a midnight stroll the night before and was like, "Fuck this, I'm heading out tomorrow night," and just like fucking missed it. That kind That's of all sh- I'm gonna say. That kind of town. That kind of town. Without that insight, I don't think we would ever have got that clear guided understanding of what happened in the penalty shootout. Billy Joe, you wanted to add something there? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to add something before we let this go? The only thing, the only thing I want to add on the penalty shootout is I don't think anyone knows what they're doing. So I'm going to give, not going to give the goalkeeper a pass, but like, you know, this is something that's nearly new, new to them. They probably never even practiced penalties back then, the goalkeepers. And still, again, the same way, didn't know how to react. Now players know how to react when they miss a penalty. They know how to have the sheepish look. They know not to play it up too much. They can't break down completely. So um, it's just a, a learning experience for everyone. That's all it was. One thing I would say, you mentioned giving goalkeepers a pass. I suspect if you tried to pass to one of these, they'd let it in during that penalty shootout. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> That's how bad the goalkeeping was in this penalty shootout. I agree on Stilica. One thing I found on the French being in this semi-final, they were promised a bonus in advance of £50,000 should they reach the semi-finals. And one player, Christian Lopez, was so confident of reaching the semi-finals that he had spent his £50,000 <laughs> bonus on a brand new Porsche before oh, they God. played Northern Ireland in the previous ah. round. Ah, Jesus. Ah, when so when Martin O'Neill got in for that goal, he must be a little bit worried. I, I just <laughs> Please be the, offside, please. I just had this image of, you know, Stilicum misses. And it's going, bugger, that's me stuck in the Fiesta for another year. <laughs> and Lopez wanders over and said, hi, Jir, I bought a Porsche just after we, or just before we played Northern Ireland. Oh, <laughs> God. All right. Hard to believe, make one last word on this game. Yeah, I, I just, I just want to be sure like that we get the point across. This was a great game. This was a great, it's great glorious. game. Like, the, bad things happened in the game. The penalty shootout was a bit of a shambles. But it, it was a great, great, great game. And on the Badistan thing, just one last thing, one one last, I suppose, just full stop on it. A years, years and years later, Michel Platini, when he was an administrator, I can't just remember where he was on the ladder, but he was on a trip to Seville and there must be a football museum in Seville. But what was in the museum but Badistan's kit? 
because when he went back to the dressing room, they stripped him down and they just left it there. It was picked up and put into a museum. So Platini managed to get hold of the kit and he posted it to Badistan in a parcel. And Badistan opened it. This is, you know, 20, 30 years later. I don't know how, how long later. And he opened it up and it was an enormous moment for Badistan. And he actually hung it up in his son's bedroom. In its own way, I don't know whether that represented some kind of closure for Patrick Badistan. We'll never know because he hasn't really spoken a lot about it. And when he has, he's been extremely magnanimous about it. But I think there's something in that. I think there's something in Schumacher talking about that the incident changed him. He 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 suffered as well. And again, I'm not d- defending his actions, but he suffered as well in terms of the abuse he took. He played for West Germany years later. Well, not years, a couple of years later at a... At a, at a pitch opening would you believe in Strasbourg uh, where the abuse was pretty severe uh, and he played for he would have played for Cologne as well against Paris Saint-Germain so you know this had an impact on on all of these players in different ways it had an impact on West Germany it had an impact on France but at the, at the bottom of it all beneath that heap of stuff there was a great great game and, and the one thing I would say about Schumacher is we've been at times maybe overcritical of an incident that occurred in a sporting event. And sports can from time to time, carelessness can cause injury, recklessness can cause injury, but I don't think there's any aspect of premeditation in what occurred. I, I genuinely believe he wasn't going out to to do the injury that he did to Batistan. What I would say is he didn't have any semblance of a duty of care for an opponent in what he did. So, you know, does he deserve the abuse he got afterwards? I I would say no. But he had a duty of a care to his opponents and he, he just was careless. And he used that word himself, as you said, Mick, in the book. The one last uh, footnote, Pat- Patrick Badistan play, had played 19 times for France uh, heading into this World Cup. He ended up with 53 caps for France playing until 1989. And he also ended up between the clubs of Metz, Saint-Étienne, after this World Cup, Bordeaux, Monaco and back to Bordeaux again, reaching 557 appearances. He actually was ranked third among outfield players up to about, according to Wikipedia, of 25 years later. So up to whatever that is, uh, 2007. I did my maths really fast there. So like you're talking about third all time on appearances so I think yes he suffered greatly from the incident he still has pain from it but at the same time um, there was a there was a whole career afterwards where thankfully he, he got to play some great football I think that's very important game two and it's going to be fast and you won't you'll forgive us because it was not great Poland nil Italy two we don't try and oversell these things, Mick. This is a really, really bad game. Italy are rolling. Poland were finished before they hit the field. It really, really was. It really was. And isn't it weird to have two World Cup semi-finals on the one day? And now like, it's kind of just part of the whole. Like the, the neither ground is full, uh, and this one in particular is just flat as a pancake. You're kind of looking at the Italians, going, "What are they going to be like after the Brazilian game?" and they come out of the blocks fast. They do come out of the blocks fast, but they they it, they come out of the blocks fast because the poles make them almost look that way. I was reminded, Rob, of of what Ryan Hubbard said on an earlier episode when he was on uh, talking about Poland. That really, by the time they got to the semi final, they had kind of done all they were going to do. You know, they had drawn with the USSR. They had pipped them to get into the semi finals. They had delivered a big game against Belgium. I mean, if you could remember the first game of this tournament. Italy or one of the first was that the first game 
so long yeah, ago. Well, no, Argentina Belgium was the first one. Day two. Italy Poland was a really, really good game. It was nil all, but it was a really good game. The Poles are just out by now. Boniek is suspended. They're out of ideas. The most dazzling thing that comes out of out of the Polish team on this afternoon is Boniek's shirt in the stand. It is pure Miami Vice. It really, really is. But there's nothing else going on for him. God love them. And the Italians, the Italians, they do. It's kind of like they've they've gone back again to that thing of playing up or playing down, depending on who they're who they're against. They just do. They just do enough. Two nil. There's a fifty thousand crowd in the camp now, and uh, while I was watching, I was kind of. I don't know whether it was how bright it was or what was going on, but I, I was like, what stadium is this? This doesn't look it like doesn't look a stadium like I recognise. No. And then I was like, and then I checked and I was going, that does not look like the camera. It was like they had less cameras. They'd, I won't get technical, but they'd allowed too much light in and it just seemed to be, it seemed saturated. It, it, even on the goals, one of the replays, I couldn't see, see Rossi heading yeah. the ball. It looked like a phantom goal. Yeah, it's such a good point. Now, Interesting. By the way, Paolo Rossi, what a couple of games he's having. Like, There's been five goals five now. Five goals in two games. <laughs> Haven't had a like a, a serious famine before that. So, I mean, he, he's on fire. You're, you're thinking this boy's going to do well in the final. So his first in the 22nd minute, great cross, uh, a free in from Antonioni. And he's just, again, because of the light, I'm like, where was he? I could see the ball going in, but I had to look for Rossi. Uh, and the 73rd minute, Bruno Conti. What a World Cup he is having. Oh, what a cross. Yeah, just perfect. But I mean, where was the marking? There was no marking of Rossi. It was, he's at the back post with literally no Polish players near him. So Conti can pick his spot and then so can Rossi. They're back in the final for the first time since 1970. It's a big result for them. That goal, just just when you mentioned the goal, like they're kind of, it's the pose like they lose the ball really cheaply, and Cabrini gets it, gets it away to Conte, past to Altabelli. I oh, know was it Altabelli and then to Conte. Anyway, and the cross, and he's all alone because they're all over the place. They're up the field, they're all over the shop. But the cross, and literally the cross, like clears Yanis. Yanis is a central defender in the middle of the box. It clears his head by about an inch, but it's it's so it's perfect, and Rossi finishes it two 0 Really, in between those two goals, there's less than nothing to see. I mean, it's, a, it's actually sad in a way. The one thing there was to see was that the Poles were just, I thought they were very physical. They were hacking at the Italians. They weren't the fluid, cohesive, progressive sort of team that we had seen in other matches, you know. But again, as Ryan said, maybe they only played well. Ryan's point in, 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 that, uh, in that episode was that they really only played well for a game and a half in this World Cup. And maybe he's right. I would say maybe the Italian game as well, two and a half, but... Maybe they just they just ran out of road. Yeah, but uh, I mean I- Italy, because after the last game, we're going away oh, hey, total football, and I think you nailed it. Like they played down to the opposition. We didn't see any of that progressive football that we'd seen from them against Brazil. Now, maybe the reason that they're not at that pitch is because they've given so much against Brazil. Watching this and haven't seen the other match. Now, obviously, if I was seeing it in the other, in the original order, I might not be thinking this way. But I just, you'd be going into this final thinking this is West Germany's World Cup. Not, not that it's going to be Italy's. Well, I, 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 I don't know. I, I was 
impressed with the way Italy played because I, you know, as much as you're right in saying that they played down to the opposition, but I always felt that they had another gear if they absolutely needed it at any stage. I, I think as well they dealt with you know the injuries were knockbacks because I thought Antonioni was the best player on the field until he went off hurt. Twenty seven minutes, yeah, which is yeah. obviously going to be a worry for them now for the final. Exactly, I thought he was outstanding uh, up to up to that point, and he kind of got injured, and I think it was in a fairly reckless, ta- you know. <laughs> thing him himself I, I believe he got injured when he went to drive a ball which he shouldn't have because it was about a 14 stone pole in front of him that he was going to kick um so that just was to it. clarify that was a 14 stone polish <laughs> footballer as opposed to as opposed he hit to the man. floodlight <laughs> stanchion <laughs> or something no, but speaking of hammer hammers and big uh, i i is kubica like he hit a couple of absolute pile drivers. The one in the first half that clipped the outside of the post, like that—that that was the, probably the only bit of excitement. But from, that's from... that's all they had was distance yeah. shots. Yeah, and and I suppose the thing, you know, he hit it had off beaten. It hit the outside of the post. He had another one in the second half, which when the view from behind the goal is, it's the beautifully shaped free kick. It goes outside the wall and it's moving back towards off, moves too close to Zoff and Zoff handles it well. It wasn't far enough in the corner, but a beautiful strike. It's from about 35 yards and Zoff's handling for an old geezer. Uh, is, it, they know this was my thing. Pages and notes. <laughs> Jesus. Go on, Colin. Go on. Go on. No, go on. No, 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 no. We insist now. We insist. I want to hear the notes. No. Every episode, Honestly, loads this, of notes. This, we don't get this to hear. Is, this is now Come the on, running let's get gag. The notes for, in. Come yeah, on, this is the running gag, folks. Like it's, Colin, it's, Colin just tries to pretend that he's done the no, same amount no, of research as the true. rest of us. Not true. I've never done the same uh, amount of research as any of you uh, collectively or, or individually. But uh, no, uh, once I realized Boniac was out of this game. I waited so long for this game to watch this, and then I was like, Jesus, he's not playing. Saw the shirt, incredible as Mick said, but a, a, a huge downer. But my one key takeaway was Tino's offs, like parries nothing, catches everything. Like it's 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 incredible. It's incredible. Like anything he can catch, he just and it's like glued to his hands, and he's wearing the like real, you know, the very slim gloves or whatever. Tino's off's um, got dubbing on his gloves. Incredible. But I mean, it makes you you know we we try not to I think sometimes kind of refer to what we're watching like in real time um, at the same time as watching this retrospectively or whatever. And you see so many goalkeepers who, you know, top class goalkeepers, international goal pre- goalkeepers in this World Cup that's going concurrently and they're like pushing balls out or whatever. Gino's off is just like handling these things with literally like surgical gloves in his hands. Incredible stuff. Oh, he's a and, for, and, and, and 40, right? 40. 40. 40. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, when I, and I don't want, I don't want to st- have to start, you know, having a pop of Peter Shilton, but hell, you know, why not? Like, uh, you've, you've had your pops. I've had my pops. You know. I've had my pops. I know he's, he's, I'm sure he's, felt this, nothing, you know? though, lads. We, this is the World Cup where we rediscovered Stanley Matthews, who, like, you know, retired like two days before it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, but like, he, he, um, when you, when you think of the plaudits that were rained down on Shilton, basically for just staying upright until he was 40. And look at Zoff. Yeah, Zoff. He's a legend. No. Like he's a proper, proper keeper. And the proper saves. And like, even if you think, you know, the Brazilian game. I know we spoke about it already, but the the saves at the end of that game, the saves in this game, and like they're proper saves. And he catches them. He's not like parrying stuff out or pushing the ball out. He's like catching the freaking thing. Oh, he's incredible stuff. Outstanding. Team of the day. What are your thoughts, lads? Dino's off. <laughs> yeah. Next.
Why not? You I love his shouting. Hang on, hang game. on, hang on. What about Tony Schumacher? <laughs> Stop. Yeah. Stop it. I think or he's the on... little fella. What's his name? The little lad. Oh, what's his name? The li- the petty uh, small guy. Oh, le- can't remember his name. The goalkeeper. Go on. Uh, le- God, I hope that's clear to people that here's, it's not easy enough. Here's three defenders for you to fight over. Right? Kaltz, Trezor and Cabrini across the back. Oh, that's solid. Solid. Okay, no argument. What no about Amaros? Stilica. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Trezor is like on my all-time dinner guest list. So he gets into this team. <laughs> well, actually, on so. that note, who are your five that you'd... you'd so we've this got one. more interesting. We've got yeah. one. Trezor, who else have you got on there? I'll tell you what, I'll make Next it easier podcast. for you, right? <laughs> your, your 1982 World Cup dinner party, right? You've got Trezor in there. Tony, Tony Schumacher. Jesus. Um, the... Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf. No, no, this 82, is not 1982. 1982. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think that's a great the, call. I thought, but, but, I thought it was. I but, thought it was just general. I thought it was no, just general. Yeah, sorry. No, the, the, I think Schwarzkopf was one of the best ones I've ever heard. Of. The, the, yeah. <laughs> the El Salvador manager, the engineer. Never thought I'd have an engineer at a dinner party, but I'm going to give it to him. Oh Jesus! Um, yeah, go on. Two more. You're going well here. Shit. Uh, 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 the Algerian manager. Want to hear all about the Liberation Front? Fascinating. Years. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. uh Jesus just for a bit of um rocket two for the hair. Wanna know what product he's using. Yeah, uh, he, you just asked him to name his five yeah. dinner guests from yeah. the eighty two World Cup and he yeah. did not say Diego Maradona. <gasps> I mean we're going to dinner. We're we've already been to dinner. We didn't we... <laughs> Yeah, you're That's... on the third day, are you? <laughs> Billy's gonna kill me for this. Come on. You got to no. just keep moving. We got to keep you've, moving. You've got yeah, Maradona is a different group for a different thing. It's not dinner exactly. party. Not are dinner we going three at the back? Are we? You got your yeah, three. Yeah. Here's, back, here's so Cal, so Cal's Trezor and Cabrini. No you're trying, you're trying to move to, on. You're trying to push Amaros in. Amaros was amazing. No, Rob, you 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 don't have a vote here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> moving on. Okay, five across the middle. Fight over these ones. See, can you get Amaros in here? This is like the club. This is like a club manager, you know. Where I picked the team at home last night myself, lads, to the selection committee. Midfield. Here it is. Here, fight over this one. Litbarski, Breitner, Jerez, Platini, Conti. Pick them all up, boys. Incredible. What about Santigana? Santigana. Yeah, he's tremendous. I, but here, if you're going to put him in, who'd you take out? There you go now. Ah, yeah, you see? There you are now. Silence. Silence. Um, battle, huh? I'll, tell, I know, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll drop Brightner out and invite him to dinner. Uh, he'd be good and actually. He'd be good. In. And say, Imagine. T- say Tigana as well. You Tigana. Know. Tigana. Yeah. Tigana. Have Tigana, Brightner, and Socrates for dinner. Socrates, Brightner, Schwarzkopf. Um, I'd, I, Darren Brown, be another one you'd have in there, I'd say. But they drink the small Aldi beers, I wonder, or would they want, they want something? Well, that's William all I'd Shatner. have in. Colin, that's William all I'd have Shatner. in. To be honest with you, that's all I'd have in now. What's that, Kevin? William Shatner, 1982, <laughs> definitely. Shatner. Um, yeah, Any other four. Uh, Gulf War uh, US generals <laughs> we can include their belief? No. Um, no, yeah, no, no. Don't have anybody else. Okay. Uh, you can only okay, have so what, what, did, what five did you say? Litbarski, right, Breitner, Lit- Platini, Jures, Conti. Conti, right? And up front, at, as it stands, we've got Rossi and Rummenigge. Off the bench in the 97th minute, and he makes the team of the day. That's good going. So that's quality, not quantity. Can Rob. I nominate a substitute? Just because I do believe it's his last World the Cup sixth game. sixth man. Well, second last. Lato. Oh, yeah. It'll be sad to see him go, in fairness. 
and his flowing hair on his bald head really he could, actually when the sweat got to him with that. <laughs> when, when, when the sweat got to him today now and the hair started to go out not good it, 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 it not good right it was like it's the very opposite of his goal against brazil really he was in need of a different type of schwarzkopf <laughs> on the next show it's the third place playoff that's where we have all the fun we have a load of stuff lined up for you we don't even know what it is that's why i've got loads of blank faces looking at me but we will get it sorted top fives and stuff like that dinner party guests who yeah, knows we'll what pick else we'll pick top five dinner party guests for the 82 each World of Cup, you yeah. have to go away and do a top five of your own whatever you like you decide but top five 1982 world cup things. Oh. Derek Akora. Now, I realise that I've picked two dead people, Schwarzkopf and Akora. Yes. You're going to need Akora to speak to Schwarzkopf, aren't you? Like, it's <laughs> well, going to be. Well, this is seance required to, we're, here. We're, we're going to have to get someone to speak to Akora as well. But we'll, as Rob said, we'll work it out. It'll be great. And we'll also Rob watch the Ouija board. Itself. It's fine. Yeah. So, moving it around here. Oh, we're supposed to be watching these games. <laughs> <laughs> it helps it definitely helps alright folks <laughs> adios amigos just before we go a little request from us to you if you're enjoying the shows please follow like and rate them we'd love to see your comments and feedback and if you'd like to support what we're doing you can always buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash hispania82 where we've left a bonus episode for those who do See you next time and thanks for listening.